As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems, all in Notion to support the business as we grew. And it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ, and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content, and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. It was really just a, a giant snowball that, you know, within the first two weeks, I already had 25,000 followers. So it, it, it was something that like, okay, I have something here. I need to strike while the iron is hot. Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to Creative Elements. I'm super, super excited to share this episode with you this week. And I wanted to start out with a quick shout out to Jay Barshop, who left an incredible review on Apple Podcasts with the title, The Best Show of 2020 Goes To, and reads, quote, This show is an absolute masterclass. In fact, you should cancel your masterclass subscription right now. Jay's got you covered, end quote. That absolutely made my day. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Jonathan, for the kind words. And not only that, but ratings and reviews go so far in helping us to climb the charts and get on the radar of big name guests. So if you haven't already left a rating or review, please, please, please do so. One of my goals for improving the show this year is to keep broadening our horizons a little bit. And I mean that in a lot of ways, including talking to creators who are building their businesses using different platforms. Which brings me to today's guest, Maddie Benedetto. I call myself the evil genius of unnecessary inventions. I solve problems that don't exist by creating products that no one is asking for. Maddie is the creator behind the Instagram account and YouTube channel, Unnecessary Inventions. And some of those inventions include the thigh phone, which is an iPhone case that attaches to your leg while you drive, the fidget backpack, pogo stick crutches, mask suspenders, the sock no more, a device that removes your socks for you, 
and many, many more. Seriously, the guy has created several hundred unnecessary inventions. Growing up, my mom always sort of called these things first world problems or uh, uptown problems, just things that, you know, you think are an issue in your life. But when you really look at it and boil it down, it is completely not an issue or a problem that you actually have. And so I'm sort of creating products to solve those problems. I'm either making the solution 10 steps longer by adding a product as the solution, or it's just a product that never needs to see the light of day. And Maddie's unnecessary inventions get a lot of attention. His Instagram account has nearly 650,000 followers, and his YouTube channel has over 100,000 subscribers. And all of that has happened in just the last couple of years. Another one of his unnecessary inventions were the Crocs gloves. They were, as you can probably guess, the glove equivalent of Crocs shoes. And when that invention saw the light of day, not only did he get a lot of public attention, but he got attention from Crocs too. So we all know the whole debacle with the Crocs gloves. I made them, I got a cease and desist, went viral, went viral again. And then I had a contest to rename the Crocs gloves to just sort of make the people at Crocs happy. And that's all we had to do. So I had a call for submissions for you guys to submit your best new name for the Crocs gloves. And we finally have a winner. The new name of the Croc gloves are the Gator Grips. I could go on and on about these products. As I wrote this intro, my fiance was laughing while she looked at them and her reactions ranged from this is hilarious, this is so fugly, and this is amazing. All of it is just so well done from the photos to the names. Everything is just packaged perfectly. I would say like that's sort of, I think the core of unnecessary inventions is a lot of, you know, the final package of how I put together all of the inventions. It just works so well the way I, you know, structure the products photos and the products videos, giving all of the products, you know, their own quirky name, doing a full product description as if you were reading it on a website. And I think that's sort of where the whole project shines. He does such a good job of making these products look so real that you may be wondering if Maddie actually sells these products. We'll get more in depth into this in the interview, but for the most part, they aren't really intended for actual use. Behind the scenes, like if I move one inch filming one of these videos, the whole product falls apart, you know, so it, it, it's much more the, the high level concept of it. I know how to design the, the essence of the product. You know, I might not have the engineering skills to make a ton of fully functioning and well-engineered products. This one is a lot of fun. In this episode, we talk about being self-taught, his experience with Kickstarter, building on Instagram, YouTube and why his willingness to just do the things he wants to do has gotten him to where he is today. Maddie was actually requested by Alec Dar in our Creative Elements listeners group on Facebook. So here you go, Alec. Thanks for the recommendation. And if you're not in our community already, I'd love for you to join. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. Take a screenshot. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. Let me know you're listening. But now let's talk to Maddie. I started manufacturing products in China when I was 15 years old. My mom taught me how to crochet hats. I grew up winter skiing a lot. So my mom taught me how to crochet hats when I was 13. And then 
the next winter when I was 14, I made a website and people could buy them and I would custom make each hat. And after school, my hands were like falling off. I was crocheting so much. So then when I was 15, I transitioned all the production over to China. And then instead of doing sort of one-off custom hats, I would create a collection of hats for the winter. That's amazing. From the standpoint of your parents fostering this in you when you're young, do you remember a time when you recognized what you're doing as like entrepreneurship or being entrepreneurial? I think, you know, it's been something that's been like the core of what I do. Uh, my dad always tells a story that we went to a World Cup ski race. You know, I'm five years old. I'm using my cute smile at the finish line and asking the competitors for their bibs. And so I would get their bibs and ask them to sign it, making them think that I just wanted this as like a, a keepsake. And then I'd go to the parking lot and I would sell them um, <laughs> to all the people leaving the ski mountain that day. You know, and I always had these little little sort of random hustles I did growing up. So it's just sort of my brain, I think, has always been sort of wired that way, that it wasn't sort of one day that I thought like, oh, I'm going to try and turn this into a business. It's just sort of been an evolution over the years of me sort of reinventing myself of whatever that new thing I wanted to create was. And then sort of over the years, I've just designed different products. So then that company, I expanded into gloves and other winter apparel. And then when I graduated college, I shifted that company into tech accessories, sort of taking my background in textiles. So all of the tech accessories had some sort of element of fabric or something like that built in. And then in 2017, I think, 16, I launched another company called Sondre Travel, where I started designing travel accessories just sort of one day, wanting to just do something new. I was like, I could redesign a better travel pillow. I launched that on Kickstarter, and that did like 125K in the first month on Kickstarter. Um, so I've sort of been a self-taught product designer, building products and selling them online for about the past 15 years now. And I've sort of always had these ridiculous ideas in my head. And in the past, I would go ahead and I would make a sample, maybe something for April Fool's Day or maybe just a standalone thing to try and get like a, a viral hit to get some PR for some of the other products I was designing. I would get the sample made in China. I would get the physical sample, you know, three, four weeks later, and I'd be like, okay, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and I'm not going to put it out there whatsoever. <laughs> and so basically right up until Unnecessary started, I was running those two e-commerce businesses, uh, just sort of designing stuff. You know, I have no employees. I just sort of do whatever I wanted to, and whatever I wanted to make, I, I made it and put it out into the world. And so it sort of transitioned once I got a 3D printer in my studio space itself that instead of, you know, taking weeks and weeks to have one of these samples made in China, I could just mock up the design, hit it on my 3D printer and see it and be like, okay. And then one day I was just like, okay, I'm just going to put out this one invention idea I have on my personal Instagram, put it up on Reddit, on my own Facebook. And it just, it was the start of unnecessary inventions, whether I knew it or not. And what was that one idea that you posted that day? The first one were called the Air Chops, and they were chopstick extensions for your AirPods. So they slid right on the ends of your AirPods. You're going out to a sushi lunch. You know, you can listen to your music on the way, and you'll never forget your chopsticks as well. Amazing. How many times have you used those since you made it? Um, <laughs> I have filmed like a, a few different versions. And like once TikTok started taking off, I did like film a new. I've never 
functionally use them. <laughs> I've never been out in public. I've never been seen in public with them on. <laughs> so I come out with anywhere from one to four inventions per week. So from the idea in my head to the final product posted on social media, sometimes it could be six hours. And, you know, the most, it's maybe like three days. So I guess, you know, I'm, I'm in the studio like every day, every single day of the week. And it's something I love. So it's, it's fun. On those weeks where you have four ideas that you bring all the way through, do you have a consistent benchmark of I'm releasing two per week, no matter what. And if I do four, I save those. Or do you just share everything as soon as it's done? Yeah. I mean, basically the second I hit export on anything or I hit save on a photo and the whole, you know, the whole set is done it goes up. Uh, brand deals, you know, sometimes that those will be delayed because they have to get approved and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, once something is done, it's posted, you know, in less than an hour. And that mainly because once I am done the content and done everything, my brain is already going on to the next one. So it's like, I, I'm not going to be halfway building the next one. Be like, okay, now I have to post, go back and post the last one. I'm pretty much like, you know, I'm, I'm fully all in on one idea get it done, get it to completion and post it. And then right away, I'm already sort of going on the next one. You've mentioned a couple of times, like the package of everything that you're putting together here for listeners who maybe haven't seen your, your page yet, which probably isn't that many of them. What does the package look like when you're thinking about, here's what I need to put together to have a fully fleshed out unnecessary invention. I fully design a generally working prototype of an invention that I have in my mind, you know, using 3D printing, woodworking, mold making, whatever tools I have in my studio to make that come to life. And so, you know, in my head, you have to capture what that thing does within the first, you know, three to five seconds while someone's scrolling on Instagram. And sort of kind of the staple of unnecessary inventions is this deer in the headlights, blue steel, like, I think I'm the sexiest person alive, but I also am questioning my life of why am I using this product? And that's sort of like, you know, using my face as sort of like the instant grabber that, you know, some people have seen my inventions at one point or another, probably. And that, you know, when they see that kind of look and that kind of uh, bright poppy image, good colors, all that kind of stuff is sort of the the signature to unnecessary inventions. Do you have a standard for how many images in the carousel or how long the video is like, is that codified at all? Uh, yeah. So pretty much all of, well, so the, uh, the early days of, you know, posting them to Reddit and all that stuff, I always did four square photos in a grid. So it was like, so then it made one larger square photo. So pretty much all of my inventions are pretty much four photos. Sometimes if it's something I either really like or it's a little more confusing, you know, I'll go like six or seven photos. And then the videos, I try to keep, you know, maximum 45 seconds or if I can get away with it, you know, like 20 seconds, you know, because all it is is just nailing home the idea, making someone laugh and then making them want to share that invention, you know, sharing it to their story, DMing it to a friend, because then that's sort of like my new metric of how well an invention does is looking at how many shares or something that that invention gets to then, you know, build the audience even more. When you when you posted the 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 chopsticks extension and that picked up some steam, 
Talk to me about the aftermath of that and at what point you decided, maybe I should just do lots of this. Yeah, so the the biggest thing was that I posted it over on Reddit, just in the funny subreddit. And I titled it, you know, like, I like to design stupid things and I created chopsticks for your AirPods. And like that by the next morning, it was sort of front page of Reddit. And I was like, whoa. And I didn't even have, you know, the unnecessary inventions name. I didn't have anything like that. And someone in the comments there posted an, another invention idea. It was like, oh, I wish I always had a coat hook with me. So then within the next three days, I designed a coat hook that goes sort of inside of your collar and then extends out. So if you don't want to look like a nerd with a jacket tied around your waist, you have a coat hook hanging off the back of your neck. So then I sort of like alley-ooped it up being like, hey, I was that guy a couple days ago and someone else told me to make this, you know, sort of keeping it all within the same storyline. And again, went to the front page again. And so then it was, what was my third one? I'm trying to think now. I'm over, I'm at, I'm at like 204 inventions in just over a year and a half. So I can't keep track of them all. <laughs> yeah, but so I did, a, <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did a third one and then that one did pretty well. And I was like, okay, now I need to make an Instagram and try and pivot some of these people that are enjoying these into like my own audience, not necessarily something built on another platform. And that's when I came up with the Unnecessary Inventions name, created the Instagram, and it it, it was really just a, a giant snowball that, you know, within the first two weeks, I already had 25,000 followers. So it, it, it was something that like, okay, I have something here. I need to strike while the iron is hot. When we come back, Maddie and I talk about starting the Unnecessary Inventions Instagram account and how he grew a following right after this. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and CreatorNow, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. 
It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot creator. Welcome back to my conversation with Maddie Benedetto of Unnecessary Inventions. When you see Maddie's inventions on Instagram, it feels like such a great, obvious fit for the platform. And it feels like he was really aggressively building momentum. So I wanted to learn more about his headspace as he was just starting the Instagram account. Did he consider other platforms? Did he think this was going to be a business? You know, at that point, I wasn't thinking in that space. I, I still think of Instagram as sort of like, the core experience of unnecessary inventions that that's like where basically when I'm developing the comp content, I still think Instagram first. Um, like I still am thinking in square ratio and all that kind of stuff and everything in my mind sort of branches off from there. I think that Instagram just has a very positive outlook. And I think that also with the meme culture on Instagram, I think it sort of really fits into a nice little corner by itself within the Instagram platform. You said that things started to snowball and within the first couple of weeks you had like 25,000 followers on there. Was that from the posts on Reddit or how did you get to that point with a new profile? Yeah, so that was, that was um, through, so Reddit and Imgur. Um, I also kind of started posting the inventions over on Imgur and would just sort of try to authentically, you know, not trying to be like, go follow me here, being like, oh, did you see my other one? Or someone would like post an invention idea and I'd be like, oh, well, I did something similar and then link to the Instagram profile or something like that. And then, you know, once I sort of built up that initial, you know, first couple week following, then a few other of the meme pages on Instagram would then feature my inventions, which were now all in that Instagram platform so that it was an easy, easy next step for someone that saw it on a meme page or something like that, then instantly were at my unnecessary inventions Instagram profile and would then follow. Something that is sticking out to me about the story so far is you're just kind of going at these things and trying stuff, you know, from posting it on Reddit, which to me, I'm not a big Reddit guy and Reddit just feels scary. Like the idea of posting <laughs> something on Reddit, like scares the shit out of me because I just think that people are going to ban me from every subreddit and, and I'm gone forever. So how much of that is built from uh, like your adventures as a kid getting autographs from the ski athletes? Like, where does that come from? I think one thing is that I'm probably not afraid of failure. And that, I mean, the whole essence of unnecessary inventions is for you to laugh at me. And so to me, I don't think I can fail necessarily. And I, I guess I just don't have the fear of failing. So with that in mind, I will try and do anything, you know, no matter what comes to my mind, you know, even if I think it's something 
now, like with this huge audience, if I want to make an invention, because I, in my brain, think it's funny, but I'm like, okay, these people aren't going to get the the underlying joke I'm trying to make. I will still put it out there and that it's, I don't have the fear of not trying something because I don't think it's going to land a particular way. So I think just trying to put anything and everything out there has been probably the largest success of, you know, getting the whole ecosystem of unnecessary inventions to where it is today. Following along with the story, you start the Instagram page, it starts to snowball, you're getting followers, these meme pages are starting to share it. What impact did that have on the time you're spending on your e-commerce businesses? With Zondre Travel, I built the business a lot around Kickstarter launches. So I did, my first one was the Voyage Pillow, then I did the Voyage Bag, then I did a Beach Chair. So it was all these sort of bigger launches with then kind of smaller, like in between that I would launch like a wallet and a travel organizer. So it'd be like these, you know, anchor anchor products launched on Kickstarter with these small accessories in between. And I had a full new travel collection already planned. So this time it was going to be like this five piece travel kit. And I was getting ready to launch that in uh, May of 2019. And then I had like two in a row that just went crazy viral from, you know, then made it into all of these PR articles. And so then I just scrapped that whole Kickstarter campaign. And I was just thinking, okay, I just don't have the time to put into it and I was getting recognized enough that I didn't want to launch the Kickstarter and everyone being like, wait, isn't that that weird invention guy? Like, what is this like travel collection that he now has? So then I just sort of put all of my time into unnecessary inventions and the two e-commerce brands had gotten to a point that they were selling a lot on Amazon. So I sort of just kind of put everything on autopilot, automating everything mostly to Amazon, still got sales through my direct website. So, you know, it was, you know, a half hour, hour a day, just shipping those orders that I had come in. But other than that, I developed no new products. I, you know, everything just sort of hit a crossroad where I just sort of like was on the train, train track and then the train line changed and I just sort of kept going on that line. Did you have any like cognitive dissonance of these two identities of, well, I'm this, I'm this product designer who creates products that we sell through e-commerce. And I'm also a product designer who creates products that nobody's going to buy. And I'm explicitly saying you shouldn't buy. <laughs> I think now, like, this is like my calling. I think this is what I've always wanted to do. So it's like, it was more of the like, how do I ditch this internet salesman and turn into uh, what I am today? <laughs> okay, so talk to me then about economics. Because if you're going from, I'm selling products for profit that are going to have margin to I'm creating products just to create photos and videos of them, put them on Instagram to get attention. How did you think about what that meant for you, like surviving and, and, and being able to do this over a even shorter medium term? So the, the biggest turning point, you know, I sort of, so from that time period of May of like ditching the Kickstarter through the summer, I was like, all right, let me just go at this. I have money saved. I'm still getting income from sales through Amazon and stuff like that. And then in September of 2019 is when I got my first brand deal. And so I, I was already like, I watch more YouTube than any other platform. I don't really watch all that much Netflix or cable TV. Like I just watch YouTube and I understand and know, you know, some of these people who have YouTube money and, and the money that can be behind it. And so I sort of, had that in my brain as the end possibility is that like if I work at this long enough, build up a large enough following that I will eventually hopefully attract brands 
collaborate with them. And that is where I could start earning more um, income. Yeah, so September of 2019, I got my first brand deal with Call of Duty. And they were launching the new Call of Duty in October. And so they just wanted me to create an invention that basically could inspire people to want a game all weekend long when the new Call of Duty came out. So I built this sort of Swiss Army knife controller that had like a stick of deodorant, it had a cup, it had a lockbox for your phone, it had like all these things that you could sit on the couch all weekend long and just game all all weekend. And so and when they went so basically had a marketing agency as a middleman and I had no idea. They asked like sort of what's the budget? And so I just sort of threw a number at them and they're like, oh okay, well we kind of really like your work and you're worth more. So we'll give you twice that. So I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Now I sort of know what my baseline is that like what, you know, a campaign like this is able to spend, which really helped. And so then like a month later, I did an invention with Bud Light. And so it's just sort of, again, just snowballed that, you know, all these brands, you know, slowly found out about me through one way or another. And that's sort of, how you have to picture the content game is you have to constantly be putting out content for the brands to find the content to want to work with you, you know? So if I go, you know, 15 inventions without a sponsor, you know, that 15th one is going to be the one that a, a large agency ends up seeing. And they're like, oh, he would be perfect for this campaign. So it's just sort of a, the content game is a nonstop grind. And these, these campaigns that are coming in, these brand sponsorships that are coming in, those are inbound for the most part? For the most part, Bud Light was actually, I just DM'd, because Bud Light had just kind of started getting into the Instagram meme game. I just DM'd them. I just, I think the DM just said, hey, let's make an invention together. And within a month, we had one live. So for the most part, a lot of times I have, you know, I have hundreds of ideas for inventions and I'll reach out to brands that I it, it might be something too expensive that I don't want to purchase for the video or something like that. And I'll try to reach out to brands that way. But for the most part, it's been inbound. Were there accounts that you had been following and maybe subconsciously might have helped shape that strategy? Or who do you look towards now to f figure out who's doing Instagram really well and what what can I learn from them? Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's I, 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 again, kind of similar. I just sort of do my own thing, I think. I mean, there's definitely, obviously people on Instagram that are kind of in my similar sphere. Um, there's a, a girl, Nicole McLaughlin. She makes kind of these like ridiculous shoes and she, she's sort of, she's similar to unnecessary inventions, but focused only in the fashion industry. So she makes these like over the top, you know, she made a, a full pair of pants out of Ziploc bags that had, you know, sandwiches in it. And then there's people like Pablo Rochat, who is kind of strictly the same sphere, but only in graphic design. Um, and so I definitely take inspiration from what they're doing, but I think I just sort of, I think I've sort of found my avenue and I'm just sort of like really, uh, really sticking to it. I'm thinking more from the lens of, you know, you mentioned, I want to capture people's attention within the first three to five seconds mm -hmm. where I have this consistent, like blue steel look that I give that people can recognize as me. I'm thinking, I'm just wondering how you came to those decisions and whether that was just through trial and error, or if there's some there's some place that you learn some of this from. Well, the blue steel look actually came from when I posted the air sticks, the first one. I was super hungover, and it was like I sort of like accidentally was just like tired and out of it, and just sort of like had this blank stare forward. And enough people commented on it that I was like, okay, I'll just keep this, you know. So it was just sort of 
things that have happened and adapted over the over the time of doing this and just seeing, you know, I always do something to get people's reaction. Nothing is accidental. I think, you know, when I'm filming my videos or doing things, I always try and leave little Easter eggs because, again, you know, more comments, you know, gets picked up into the algorithm. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just I just sort of trial and error over the years of, of, uh, of just sort of doing what I think will work. And if it doesn't, then take that and move on to the next thing and try something new. As we're talking, listeners can't see this, but you're in your studio, it looks like. And you mm-hmm. mentioned that you're you're kind of a one man band. Have you been doing your own video and photo too? Yep. So just me on a tripod. I've had uh, I've had someone help me maybe for like two or three. I did an invention in a car. I made a, a car top cup holder, so it it suction cup to the the top of your car. So if you leave your coffee cup up there, it will still be there when you get to your destination. So I had someone help me with that. Oh, and that actually that that invention similar to Reddit. I just so there's a there's a Reddit forum for just Burlington, Vermont, and enough people sort of know and see have seen my inventions and know I live in town and I posted. Anyone have a Tesla I can borrow for one of my invention videos? And some dude let me borrow his new P100D for the day, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So again, just like putting it out there, you know. I I didn't necessarily think I was gonna get someone to. I was like looking at Turo of renting one too, but I was like, why don't I just see if I can get someone to give me one for free? So some dude just let me borrow his Tesla for the day. So just like again, just putting something out there, and if someone says yes, they say yes, and if they don't, then it's moving on to the next thing. I think I heard you in another interview mention that you had a similar story with a private jet at one point. Is that true? Yeah. So that was also, so that was the launch of the Voyage Pillow on Sondre Travel. I was like, what would be a good setting? I was like, because again, like we were talking before uh, we started recording today is that this morning I was filming one of my inventions. It was 7 a.m. on in, in, and I went downtown uh, here in Burlington, but I just like don't want to deal with the people. Just like, I just want to film my video and get out of there. So I was like, okay for the launch of the voyage pillow, I don't want to like go to an airport and film, you know, in a terminal with all these people. And right next to the the regular airport was a private airport. So I emailed them and I was like, hey, I'm launching a product. I was like, would you guys have any planes or something I could use? And it just so happened this $10 million jet was sitting there getting serviced. And so they're like, yeah, you can use this plane for the day. And so, you know, I got to go to the hangar and film this whole video for free, just because I asked and put it out there. You know, I think, you know, if someone just doesn't reply, I feel like, you know, there can always be a plan B, but, you know, might as well shoot for the stars for plan A. This continued pattern of just asking, has that worked for you with PR? Like, do you go seek out PR for things like this? Uh, yeah, so similarly, um, you know, I like, I probably send like 20 Instagram DMs a day, you know, whether it's a brand I want to work with or something I want to get featured in, or uh, there's one that just happened last week that if it comes to fruition is going to be crazy. I can't say anything about it yet. But again, it's just like putting it out there and, you know, eventually something's going to stick that um, that's going to help move the needle forward of whatever you're trying to accomplish. A lot of people, myself included, we think about the idea of just asking for some of these things that we want and we get so afraid but at the same time i've never had like such an adverse reaction that it's like why did i do that have you ever gotten any type of negative reaction from asking for something i don't think so i mean i think 
I mean, the, the worst, I think, reaction is just no reply. You know, you might do a follow-up and you feel like you're annoying, but, you know, after, you know, two or three times, if you hit someone up and they don't get back to you, you're like, all right, well, I'll move on to the next thing. And then if someone does get in touch with you and it doesn't work, I mean, typically they're just like, ah, uh, this isn't for us, but good luck, you know? I think everything I've asked for, I maybe hasn't been too crazy, but... <laughs> but uh yeah i guess it's it just i've never been afraid to just sort of ask someone for uh for something that might help after a quick break maddie and i talk about his jump to youtube and what his sites are set on today so stick around and we'll be right back this episode is sponsored by podcast movement for the past decade podcast movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super-duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com science. Welcome back. At this point in our conversation, it may seem like everything Maddie touches turns to gold. You could look at his story and think that he just has a knack for creating new products and maybe even some luck in helping them catch the public eye. But when you dig deeper, I think what you actually see is a guy who has learned to think like an entrepreneur since he was a kid. He's a guy who's worked very, very hard for a long time to teach himself a wide variety of skills, including product design, textiles, 3D printing, marketing, photo, and video. It feels like Maddie's success has actually been realized through many, many years of teaching himself new skills and just doing the things that he's interested in. Yeah, so it, it definitely has been that of just like, you know, in college. So in college, I, I skied a lot and my friends were, you know, semi-professional freestyle skiers. So I wasn't as good as them. And so I would had the camera out and I film them and edit made edits of them skiing and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so it's just been that. And then, you know, designing products. If I wanted to make something just kind of slowly learning 3D CAD and uh, it's just been sort of slow picking away at something in my brain that I want to see made or see in a physical form or see in a digital form. I'll just go to YouTube and you can literally learn absolutely anything. On this train of thought of like skill acquisition, that's been a big part of my story too. I haven't had nearly the success you have online, but sometimes I question like, 
what if instead of taking the time to acquire the skill and do it badly for a long time and release like subpar stuff, what if I just hired a professional to do it for a while? Would that have been faster? Mm -hmm. Do you ever think about that? The trade-offs of doing all of the process yourself even versus bringing somebody in to help with parts of it? Yeah, and I guess it's it's been interesting um, over the years sort of as an entrepreneur as well that I've never had any employees. I've never done anything like that. And I've had people over the years like, why don't you just hire someone to ship your orders? You know, I would sometimes, you know, a couple years ago when my uh, iPhone accessories were were pretty big, you know, I would spend hours a day at Christmas shipping orders. But I guess it's just... And I guess I don't exactly know something and why it's ingrained in me that I just sort of like controlling the whole process. And that it's also, you know, giving me the freedom that if I don't want to do anything for the next three days, I don't have to do anything for the next three days. And that there's not someone sitting there being like, well, where the hell is Matt today? It's the trade-offs of I might have 10 days straight where I'm grinding nonstop. But then if I wanted to take seven days off, I could take seven days off. Yeah, totally get that. I have the exact same narrative in my head. And then the devil's advocate of myself to myself is like, yeah, but if you're the boss, do you need to answer those people where you are the last three days? Like, does (laughs) that really matter? Or is that just a, like a guilt that I'm putting on myself? Right. Because I have the exact same narrative. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about, I want to talk about YouTube here in a second, but one last point on Instagram, I want to kind of wrap things up with. If somebody's out there and a lot of listeners of the show, they're not doing these inventions the scale that you do are, but they might be doing drawings or artwork or all kinds of stuff that they think is a good fit for Instagram. What are some of the things that you've learned about Instagram that you would pass on to them that they should know if they're looking to build a following on the platform? I would say similar to to what I mentioned is just shareability. I think that today is one of the biggest things that if, if you're looking for growth, you know, having content that's easily consumed and easily shared that it's something that when someone sees it they enjoy it and they want to double tap but then also that they want to then dm it to a friend and be like whoa check this out and so i guess the that that also encompasses the way you package it you know if you want your content to be shared it has to be think of what you would want to share to someone else so kind of thinking about that overall package of how you want your work to be portrayed and putting it out there that allows other people to, you know, instantly you, you have such little time to capture someone's attention and having uh, having that content just very quickly and easily understood um, for, for people. When you say easily consumed, you know, people might think, well, it's photos and videos and the videos autoplay. How could it get easier than that? But what, what do people make as far as mistakes go that make their content harder to consume than it should be? I would say, you know, like, don't bury the lead. Like, you know, with my invention videos, like a lot of time I will put, you know, within the first three seconds, it'll basically be a teaser for what is later in the video. So like, as they're scrolling by, they see that thing that is going to make them want to say like, wow, don't film a video where you know the payoff is going to be one minute in and 45 seconds of that the person's like what am i watching right now and then it's like oh this is what it is you know you want to you know you can you can do that if you sort of tease it up front and so they sort of know you know if it's a a time lapse of you building something and if someone hasn't you know say you pop up in the explore page and someone is seeing your video and you for the first time 
And they're like, well, what is this person building? Versus they see this amazing woodworked table right off in the first 10 seconds. And they're like, whoa, that thing's crazy. And then it cuts to the the process of a time lapse of you building it. Then they already know what to expect for the content. And they'll sit around, I think, longer to enjoy that content to then maybe want to share it. I think we also like to close loops, you know? So if you start off with like, here are the Crocs gloves. Now we're going to transition Gator into tips. a time lapse of it being made. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Now we're going to transition into the the time lapse of it being made. You're like constantly trying to fill in the gap of like, I think this is what's going to happen next because I know the end state and I can see where it is right now. I'm going to right. see, I'm going to imagine what happens next. So when did you start going into YouTube too? Well, that's a great transition because the pretty much my... YouTube channel launched. I posted some of my invention videos that I had already done on Instagram to YouTube. And then I sort of launched the YouTube channel right around when the Croc gloves came out. And so that was maybe like the second sort of behind the scenes, this is how I built this invention type video. And then it kind of worked out perfectly that I, so anyone doesn't know, I ended up getting a cease and desist from Crocs for this invention. And, you know, controversy, I got a bunch of articles, everyone linked to the video of me building the gloves and all that kind of stuff. So it was sort of, again, right place, right time, right invention, sort of that perfect storm of everything coming together, which then catapulted, you know, the YouTube channel to a certain level. And then, you know, the second month, YouTube added me and the the Explorer page as a creator on the rise, you know, so it was like, again, these things that just snowballed and I grabbed hold and, and, and rode the train. Did you ask for that explore page or was that discovered by their team? Nope. That was, that was something that, uh, yeah, YouTube is like, I don't know, is like a deep black hole. I feel like you can't get anything you want. You, you are at the mercy of the algorithm and, and anything on with YouTube. So yeah, so it was just a, a, a happenstance of getting on that Explorer page, and then that was another big jump. And so it's just sort of been a, a slow, a slow process. But yeah, YouTube is a YouTube is a tough game. It's a it's a, a lot of work. How long did you think about it before you actually pulled the trigger, and what eventually told you like, okay, I should do this? Well, what was funny is that you know the start of 2019. So unnecessary invention started in March. And in like January, the start of the year, I was like, I want to do something new. I was like, it'd be fun to do a YouTube channel to show people how I build, like build things. But in that, in in that mindset, you know, I was thinking of like doing videos and tutorials, like how to make a product in China and like, you know, more concrete, you know, maybe educational type content. And I kind of had a list of some ideas of videos, but I just didn't know how to talk to a camera and film myself and do all that kind of stuff. And so as the Instagram took off, I sort of knew that YouTube money that could be there and that knowing brand deals that could be coming if I built this to a certain platform are going to want sort of a portfolio of where, you know, this campaign is going to live rather than it just being a Instagram integration, that it would be something that could live across multiple different channels. And that I knew being a scary, stoic looking person was not going to translate the same to to YouTube as it did on Instagram with the product photos. So I knew, you know, I had to have a different format that would work for YouTube and, and sort of being more of that personable, upbeat kind of behind the scenes videos I knew would work better over on that platform. 
Has it been easy? And maybe it's even hard to attribute this, but has it been easy to port the Instagram audience over to YouTube? It has not been super easy. I, you know, I think it is difficult that like once people are in our app, they're enjoying that app experience. And a lot of times it is just difficult to, you know, pick someone up and be like, hey, come on over here and now enjoy this long form content while you were just mindlessly scrolling. So yeah, so that definitely has been a difficult thing. You know, how many people are going to swipe up in an Instagram story to want to watch a 10 minute YouTube video? So it's just sort of, I think, building the recognizability of myself in that like if someone came across me on their homepage on YouTube or something that they might click on it because they recognize me. But yeah, that's what that's being discovered and getting people to your YouTube channel and subscribing is is a difficult thing, I think, compared to Instagram. I think people are a little more lax and and don't carry as much weight to their who they follow on Instagram. But I feel like people carry more weight within their, you know, subscribe box on YouTube and that they cherish it a little more that they aren't going to subscribe to every last little thing. I have this story I tell myself that the YouTube audience generally is a different person than the Instagram audience, which is, you know, obviously like there's a million different types of people on both platforms, mm -hmm. but does it feel like a similar subscriber on both platforms or does it feel like inherently different, the type of people that are subscribing on YouTube? For my audience, it seems pretty similar. You know, people aren't coming to my YouTube channel to like, okay, I'm going to learn today how to make a pair of selfie sandals. You know, they aren't going there for educational DIY content. They're going there for the entertainment aspect of seeing exactly how I took this one idea and ended up at the final product. So I think for my audience, it's rather similar in that like, you know, they're all there for the joke of it all. They're not there to uh, to necessarily take it, you know, so seriously in that they just kind of want to sit there and enjoy it. I have a lot of guests on the show who are writers and bloggers, and they talk about how much they live and die by email because they just really want to own that contact information. Instagram is obviously difficult to do that. YouTube's a little bit closer. But how much do you think about that and your relationship to your audience on these other platforms? Yeah, the only time I really started thinking about it, so I did launch one, a big launch for one of my inventions um, I launched on Kickstarter was the Jigsaw Puzzle coffee table. So basically the entire surface of the coffee table is also a jigsaw puzzle. So it's like Ikea directions on steroids. And so I launched that on Kickstarter this summer. And sort of a few months leading up to me wanting to launch that was the first time and it was like, okay, if I really want to turn this audience into it, it, I, I was I was a little concerned like you know everyone has just been used to sitting back and enjoying my inventions as content and that how many of these people would actually convert into you know because every single invention I post everyone's like oh I would buy that I would buy that it's like but would they prove it <laughs> <laughs> right exactly and so then and and I knew sort of working on the Kickstarter platform you know five times before knowing that that first like three day push is sort of the most important thing for the momentum of your campaign um, so that was the first time I started collecting emails on my website and I got a, I got a few thousand for the, the early launch of the, the Kickstarter, which ended up doing 105 K in sales, which not too bad in a month. Not too bad. And so I guess a social audience isn't, I guess I don't have as many things to sell them. 
in that like I thought about doing like a weekly recap email being like, you know, the unnecessary newsletter where it's like, here's the inventions I made, here's the YouTube videos I made. But I, I guess I'd have to test it out that I don't know if me putting that out would then get people to be like, oh, I'm going to go watch the video on YouTube now. And, you know, these people I'm talking about, their model isn't brand deals, sponsorship Mm -hmm. deals. Their model is I'm creating things to sell directly to the audience as opposed to helping get other people in front of that audience. When you think long term about your business model, are you bullish on the the sponsorship and, and advertising side of things or or what are you thinking long term? I guess I don't think long term. I guess I, I think <laughs> I think invention to invention. That's like the I know what invention I'm posting today and I don't know the next one. So it's like I I'm very sort of living in the moment and doing what I'm doing now. And I know that I've done it long enough for now that I've been able to make things work and that I know that I will find a way in the future to make things work. And so I guess I'm never too concerned with sort of what what is what will be or what is going to be i'm just sort of focused on what i'm doing right now and and how that's working but one thing sort of on the creator side of things is that i've just started testing last week is an app called community and so basically i have my own phone number now and i have it on my profile so people can you know my instagram dms can sometimes be a mess and so people can now text me and so it's been a lot of fun actually so you i already have a couple hundred subscribers and people can just text me ideas for inventions or they can just say what's up or they can say what are you building now and you know I can just shoot them a quick message back which has been really fun just sort of creating making people know that I'm just a real person behind all of the inventions you know building all this stuff and that if in the future I do want to do something I can you know segment or batch all these people and send them a mass text saying hey I have a new Kickstarter out so kind of creating it more on a one-to-one relationship rather than a salesy relationship. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Maddie. Instagram is pretty foreign to me. And so getting someone on the show to talk about strategy and what matters on the platform taught me a lot. But if there's one thing I really take away from this conversation, it's that I'm often holding myself back. Just like we talked about, I have so much success just asking for things, but I often prevent myself from doing so. Maddie is an incredible model of what's possible when you do great, interesting work, have a vision for what you want, and ask for it. If you want to learn more about Unnecessary Inventions, you can follow him at Unnecessary Inventions on Instagram, YouTube, or UnnecessaryInventions.com. Links are in the show notes. Thanks to Maddie for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Todd Hunter for mixing the show and Brian Steele for creating our music. If you like this episode, you can tweet at me at jklaus and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Universe.